All right, everybody, welcome back to the best hour of their day. Fern here. I'm with I'm with arguably my favorite person to work with, Mr. <laughs> Joe, Joe No Pain to Gain. He's a flow master. He's a, uh, owns an affiliate up in Michigan, CrossFit 801, or is it 810? 810, yep. 810, yeah. It's 810, but the telephone exchange up here is 810. They call it 810, but they call the Flint area. Yeah, so, but no, like Joe and I, every time I see a seminar list and Joe's on there, like I know I'm in for a good evening's discussion about affiliate ownership and coaching and all that stuff. So um, Joe is currently on a walk right now in Flint, Michigan, where the, where the temperature is currently 15 degrees. So um, if you're feeling bad for yourself, stop because Joe is sucking it up and going for a walk. <laughs> yeah, no excuses. You got to get, you got to get your activity in, right? <laughs> that's why they call it. That's why they call you no pain to gain, dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have had some good talks over the over our, uh, our few years here about uh, the rabbit hole of affiliate ownership is usually what the talk goes down. And that's I think that's yeah. largely where this is going to go is kind of maybe we'll do some do's, maybe we'll cover some don'ts. And um, but I what, the reason I've always enjoyed uh, talking to you is because I feel like you're kind of like me in the sense that you're always kind of toying with things and always playing around with new ideas and you're, you're very much uh, not what I would describe as risk averse. Like you like to try things even if they don't work out, which I think is, which is probably the mark of a true entrepreneur, I would imagine. I, I don't know if you would categorize yourself that way or not. Yeah, yeah, I see, yeah I'm always, I guess, I guess it's that pursuit of virtuosity, right? Just, try, just always trying to tinker and fix things and move forward. Um, and you have to do them you know, you don't, what do we always say? Like, you don't have to start right. You just have to start. So start making the action happen and then start adjusting from there to make it fit your mold or whatever it's going to be. But yeah, I've made quite a few changes over the years. You're right. How many years have you had your affiliate? We, we have been open nine and a half years. I knew and, it was coming uh, up on 10. I knew it was coming up on 10. Yeah, and then we got we were fortunate enough to go out to the ten year affiliate gathering in Whistler, and uh, yeah, we talked a little bit out there at that ten year affiliate. I know you were out there, and Jason yep. was, um, and uh, yeah, but we got so we got a special little we got we, we they snuck us into the side door because we were only nine and a half years in, but yeah, uh, I think, but I feel like I think I've owned was... an affiliate for twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's how a lot of affiliate owners feel. Um, what was your, I guess, like, did you have a takeaway from the summit? Like, is there something you walked from the affiliate owner summit? Like, what was there? Is there something you walked away from and you're just like, okay, I, I dig that, or it's something I didn't know before? Um, you know, I, th I think it's always great to get that chance to jump inside Coach Glassman's head and just see what, what in the world is going on in there because he, you know, over the years, he's made a lot of decisions for CrossFit headquarters that sometimes the community has or has not agreed with. And when we look back over the years at a majority of those decisions, I think all of them, like not, nothing, no decisions he has made have been bad decisions. They might've felt odd at the time, but, uh, but looking back, you got the, the, the affiliate um, community and the CrossFit community always comes out smelling like a rose. So I think just uh, 
just seeing. Do you remember that little web he made on the um, at the affiliate gathering about like where yeah, we are now like, yeah, and how like we the, got the, there? And it was the it was like the ball of like what did he describe? It, it was just like <laughs> it was basically uh, so ima- if if you're trying to visualize this, so it's just imagine you had like this big ball of yarn that was not like put together in any. It was just like this big clump, and you're just like that looks like a mess. And what was it? What was his? How did he describe that? It was just like, listen, he was like, it doesn't really matter, like what the path was for how we got here. Is that is that what it was? I don't remember how he described. Yeah, it. That, yeah, that's what it was, and yeah, that's basically. And it was this big shift from, you know, the competition side of things to the health and wellness shift. Um, and it was kind of, it was just kind of neat to see the t- the timeline of events of of, of items that happened, um, events that happened in Coach Glassman's life to kind of lead us to this new lens of CrossFit that is still definitely focused on games and competitiveness, but, um, but it, but it, it definitely lessened the focus of it and made a bigger focus towards health and wellness. And it was kind of neat, I think, just to hear coach Glassman's reasoning as to how we got there. And I think a lot of it, you know, uh, only, only some tenured affiliate owners can understand that scope or that lens because a lot of times when you get into affiliate ownership in the beginning, I know in the, in the, when I did, I, you know, I was, I was a big competitor and I was thinking competitive, competitive, competitive. And it wasn't the only thing driving my business in the very, very beginning. I, I definitely wanted to help out the normal population, but selfishly driven, I was a competitor. And, um, and over the years, you just start to realize like, that's not how you keep your doors open. So it was kind of neat to see how coach Glassman shifted the whole lens of the organization and how he got there to, uh, to these steps. So I, I think they're going to release that talk soon, but uh, so for anybody who's wondering kind of what we're talking about, he kind of went through this chronological um, uh, kind of slides of, of just like dates, like the significant dates within the past. I think it was like within the past, like three or four years, as far as like meeting with certain people, significant things, shifts that the company has made, the new website, when they came off social media and all that stuff. And he, and, and like Joe's describing, he kind of walked everybody through his, through the cycle of why he did things. Uh, and I know a lot of people don't disagree, or a lot of people disagree with certain things he did. However, good news on the social media front, CrossFit training is back on Instagram. So if you are not following them, you need to go follow at CrossFit training on Instagram right now. Stop this podcast, go search it, follow it. Um, so I was really stoked because I think that came back on like Monday or Wednesday or Tuesday this week. So, um, yeah, I, I saw that. That, w- that was really exciting. Very exciting. And I, and I also think I read somewhere that they gave, as soon as they came back on, they gained like almost 10,000 new followers as soon as they came back on to Instagram and they had all their, it was the same platform they had before. It looked like it was just paused and taken offline. So they didn't lose any followers, but yeah, they I gained 10,000 immediately. It looked like. I, which I have no doubt. And I think um, I'm just super excited to see that. Like, I'm super excited to see them back on to back on Instagram because I think that's just a, a really awesome outlet. And, I get for anybody who's wondering, like he did have some philosophical differences with those companies, which I get, and it's his company, so he can do that. Um, but yeah, the affiliate gathering was cool. It was cool to see that. It was cool to see him talk through that. And, uh, and we, we were fortunate. We got to see it twice. We got to see a truncated version at the trainer summit. But um, what, was your, what was your takeaway from the trainer summit? Oh, gosh. You know, I, at that, I, I am never 
discipline. Every time I work a seminar for CrossFit headquarters, I always introduce our staff and I talk about not only the aggressive screening process that they've had to go through to be able to come on board to staff, but also the um, extensive amount of professional development that they've been through to assure that so that way CrossFit can just assure that this is the best of the best that we have to offer at an L1, an L2, or a kid's seminar. And, um, and that was no disappointment there at the, at the, at the summit. I mean, we, we had these little small groups organized with PVC sticks and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting at the L2 experience, we give a lot of feedback to participants about I think I lost you. Oh, I lost him. I'm going to have him dial back in. We'll do a quick edit. Um, so what he was talking about was um, some of the small, some small breakouts, which I think we've talked about in some of the, uh, in some of the previous episodes. And as far as like coach development, there was like a waterfall effect and, and Denise and I talked about it in her episode and uh and that was what he was alluding to i'm trying to get him back on the call right now i think he dropped it it's probably just too damn cold in michigan to uh to keep a phone call outside but um if he doesn't come back on i'll just splice these two together and we'll do both of them i might cut one out and do it that way but let me see if we can get him back on You're Jason, there? I'm back. All right, cool. Maybe, maybe um, I walked through a dead zone. I don't know. I don't know. I, I was afraid you got hit by a car on your long walk. <laughs> All right. Are we still uh, on? Are we recording right now? Yeah, we're recording. I just left it on, and I was just doing okay. a little yeah, monologue. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was cool. The break, the, the well, well, were, so what I was thinking, cool. yeah, the exactly, yeah, and those, and we, and we, ha we hammered each other with the PVC stick and, um, and that was a lot of fun. Another big takeaway is when we had that Zoe Harcom, Harcom, she came and talked and she yep, had some So we're going to get her on the podcast. Into some stuff. Oh, yeah, that's uh, great. That's yeah. Great. Like I'm super stoked about that because like she is, uh, she has like a lot of good stuff to say, but like her talk was good. And then, uh, um, Dr. Jenkins has been on the podcast twice and he had some really awesome stuff to talk about too. Yeah. Yeah. What was it's your, always, what it's you, always good. What was your favorite part about uh, about Zoe's talk? Like, what was your what was your big takeaway there? Well, you know, I guess I guess one one thing about Zoe that I thought was so interesting is is I think by preference, it sounds like she is a vegan by preference. She would she she enjoys that food. So I mean, if she could have if she could pick any way she wanted to eat, she would eat a vegan lifestyle. And and, and I forgot how many years of her life it sounded like eighty or ninety percent of her life she has been that way. And, um, and then, um, but through all the studies that she's done and just research about nutrition and whatnot, that she, she makes herself eat meat because she knows that's what's best for her. And, um, and, and that's a, that's an interesting angle that not a lot of, uh, that, you know, there's not a lot of vegans turned meat eaters because of the education that they've gone through. There's not um, necessarily because of education, cool. but I think like the percentage of people that go vegan or vegetarian and, and convert back is something crazy high. I want to say it's like 
Like people try. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Wow. Yeah, it's super high. Uh, What I thought was super interesting about her talk was like the. I always kind of knew this, but I didn't know to what degree that liver is the superfood for humanity. Oh, I know it. (laughs) Uh, That has been on my mind for. I haven't. I haven't made any liver yet, but I do have a member of my gym who. My gym's about five minutes from my house, and the member of my gym is a butcher, and his butcher shop is literally halfway between my house and the gym. And he says he, he has liver in the shop, and it's just a matter of time till I go in there and grab some because uh, I've got I've to grill myself up some liver and, and see what uh, – yeah, it seems like it's a superfood. I'll have to – I'm going to have her – we'll probably add some of the graphics that she showed there when we have her on the show. But the, the – I mean, there is no food that even comes close to liver when it comes to nutritional value. I mean, it, the, the numbers on there were, it was, it was almost like somebody made it up. It was just like, Hey, listen, if you could make a ridiculous nutritional protein product, it would be liver. It was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear, you know, the, the, a big thing lately is like the carnivore diet. A lot of people talk about the carnivore diet. And, um, and one of the misconceptions of the carnivore diet is that you're just eating like ribeyes and, and T-bones and, and whatnot mm-hmm. and all the delicious part of, of, <laughs> of, of the cow. But, you know, uh, the true carnivore diet, the reason people say that it works so well and the theory behind it is that you eat the animal nose to tail, including all the organs, yeah. which is kind of in line with what she was saying, because the liver, that contains all those minerals and vitamins that are critical mm-hmm. to the technique of the metabolic system you know so that was definitely in alignment with that yeah yeah i can't wait that, to and then, i think somebody up. also somebody asked her also if if she thought there was some type of a conspiracy theory like what what is taking society so long to turn their lens uh and, and thinking that meat is bad and she 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 didn't miss a beat and just and reflected back upon like uh i don't know what his, their first names were but like mr kellogg and mr graham oh like that's back right in the late 1800s were the seventh day evangelists and they and they had like they didn't want anybody to eat meat and i mean she really I, and that that was pretty deep rooted and to hear her not miss a beat and say look could be this and <laughs> that was uh, interesting i can't remember exactly what it was but it had something to do with them making those companies and then also having a view to want to kind of change the world back in the day. I don't know. I don't know how true or not it was, but it was interesting. It was, she had I'm going to, I'm going to get this wrong. Theory. I'm going to get this wrong, but they, it was, they were part of a, not a cult. A cult is not what it is, but I, it was, was it a religion that was against yeah, seventh day Adventists? That's right. That's right. Seventh day advocates. And they were against eating meat and that's how they started coming up with all this other stuff. And when you think about it, like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, she, she did not skip a beat on the conspiracy theory. She didn't say like definitively, but she, she outlined it and had a pretty strong argument for, for why the, like some of those companies are so prevalent in, in the, in the, the world of food production these days. Um, but yeah, yep. I can't wait to yep. have her on. Cause like I listened to her podcast, uh, and it's like, she is just so well read and just like, just, and she doesn't mince words either. That's the other thing I love about her. Like she just says it, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. She's right to the point. Which um, I think I a lot of people in CrossFit are like that. We like to get right to the point, you know? <laughs> well, there's no, yeah. I mean, there's I no, there's no sense. In, there's some, there's no sense in like beating around the bush. Um, which is kind of a, a good segue to the next piece, which I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on coach development. So Joe's been, how long have you been a Flowmaster, Joe? 
probably I've, I've been on staff for 11 years. I think I've been a flow master for seven or eight years. And then what was your seminar count? 300 and yeah, it was like 360 some, 360 some seminars, which I did a calculation was six and a half years of weekends of my life and then dedicated to, um, to the L1, um, L2 and kids, uh, seminars, six and a half, which is crazy. Cause if you, <laughs> yeah, if you think about that, that's almost a thousand hours on the floor, just in a seminar setting. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's been a, it's been a great ride. I've loved it. I've loved every second of it. My wife explains it to me as, uh, there's a, there's a movie, there's a movie where these, uh, we're something about being 40 and there's this, uh, these two guys and they're watching one of them's getting ready to be a dad. I think it's Seth Rogen and the other one is Paul Rudd, I think maybe. And they're sitting oh, on this yeah. bench and he yeah. says, he's like, he's like, look at these kids with their bubbles. I just wish I could be as happy about anything in life as those kids are about bubbles is what he says. And um, I got to, he's like, I got to find bubbles in my life. And my wife calls the seminars bubbles. She so every time I leave for a weekend, she says, enjoy your bubbles, hon is what she says as I walk out the door. But yeah, that's how I feel. I love, I love working those seminars. That's They're an incredible weekends. way to describe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome to have a, to, to have a job you love. You know, it's awesome to have a job you love. And we had, yeah. So, and now I'm trying to extend it a little bit into the coaches development program also, which you guys are doing over there across at Rife. I know. Yeah. We just had one uh, last week and it went phenomenal. It was, um, and I, I, I failed the listeners because I was going to do a podcast with the three participants because they all really wanted to do one, but we just got so entrenched into the development portion that like, I just finished day three and I was like, shit, we forgot, we forgot to do that. Like, um, but yeah, I was, uh, that the, I was, I was reflecting on this, on the summit and I, and I wrote an email to say thank you to a couple of people and in the email I kind of expressed, I said, I, I find it very rare that you could find yourself in a position to earn a living doing truly what you love, like what is actually your passion. And then it's even more rare than that to be surrounded by people who are just as passionate as you. And that I felt like I hit the lottery by like being able to do what I love and be surrounded by people who are literally just as passionate about it. And I was just like, thank you for this opportunity. Like I, I couldn't imagine myself in any other place. Oh, and yeah, you have to live, living your life any other way is just not worth it. You know, I mean, that, that standing around the water cooler, another day, another dollar groans and whatnot with, with the, with other people in the miserable corporate life, uh, nothing wrong with it if you enjoy it, but, uh, but getting caught in the rat race is, uh, yeah, definitely. You got to try to pursue something that's your bubbles and you can infiltrate your life with happiness and your day-to-day work. And I think what's cool about that is, and you kind of see it when you look inside, like at people's kind of like their personal bubbles, if we're going to use that term, like it's infectious, it's infectious, right? Because I mean, how many, how many people have you had that have kind of been under your tutelage over the years that have ended up working on seminar staff? Oh my gosh. Um, Well, let's see. It started with um, the Charlesworths. Yeah. The Charlesworths. Um, Jen and Andrew, they, uh, they both got on staff. My wife, Liz, um, she is on the kids staff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we also, my son-in-law, Colin, Colin Thede is on staff and also Dennis Martin, who is no longer on staff, but, uh, yeah. but he was on staff for a little bit. So that would be, uh, yeah, five people. They can, then they all came through 810 CrossFit 
and um and they just got passionate about CrossFit and it's kind of neat because you know they leave and move on which is devastating to have these wonderful trainers leave and move on well of course my wife didn't leave she's still around <laughs> uh, but to have these uh to have to have that you know it's devastating but at the same time it's 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 kind of a neat little i don't know it, it, in a weird way it feels like an act of philanthropy almost that they're off leading these great communities now and um and loving their job day to day which is um i don't know i hope they were able to steal some of that from uh from working at 810 and learning no, along I think, the way. I definitely think it's something you should be proud of. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you, because that's always been my vision is to have, you know, something similar. Like I always envision like the coaches I admire the most are the coaches who have had coaches that have left and then gone on to do things like Bill Parcells comes to mind, like the number of head coaches in the NFL that started under Bill Parcells and then went on to do something else. Nick Saban's another one. Like that is what I like, not how many championships you have, but like the number of people that went on to do great things after being in your presence is like what I consider like the true mark of success. Like, is that something like, how do you transmit, like for somebody who's owns a gym, like you've owned in a gym for almost 10 years, like how do you begin to start to transmit that culture onto your other staff when they come in? Well, you know what I mean? I, I think it just, I think it just kind of, I think it just kind of organically happens. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think we start with a new coach and, um, and just immediately start thinking about, you know, what the end goal is going to be. We just, we, you know, just show it, just try to, just try to love them, make sure, you know, be open to the idea that they're going to make mistakes because before, you know, when, before you are a great coach, you have to be a bad coach. <laughs> it has to start somewhere. And I think um, just being open to that idea and realizing that the only real mistake you make is the mistake you, when you, when you don't get back up after you fall down and, um, and just kind of always being there for them. And, and, so, and then I think in the beginning, I don't know what we do with our younger coaches is, is we kind of spell things out very much for them about how things are going to be. We, I guess you could compare it to like fishing. Like when I was a little boy, my dad would take me fishing. He would, um, he would, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd tie the knot. He'd put, he'd, he'd, he'd put the bait on the lure and he, and then he would throw it out and uh, he would throw it out and then the fish would bite and he'd set the hook and he'd give me the pull and I'd reel it in. And in the beginning, that's kind of what we do with, uh, with our trainers is we just lay it all out. And then as they get used to reeling in the fish or running the class and whatnot, we start to give them a little bit more creative freedom to start to grow into their own and trusting them with that process. And, um, and yeah, they just kind of, they just kind of come along and then, um, what, eventually the they're, they're setting their own hook. What, what's the first, so on that note, what's the first thing you allow a new coach to do? Like, what's the first thing you're like, Hey, you can do this by yourself. Yeah. Usually it's, uh, usually it'll start with uh, some of the more complex uh, progressions. I don't like me uh, for it. Well, I'll just use an arbitrary example. Maybe we're going to do ring muscle ups in a workout today. And um, so I've got some, I've got two or three pre-populated ring muscle up progressions that I like to put the athletes through at 810 CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And um, like, if you're a new coach, then, then you're, you're automatically doing these 810 default progressions. They're great progressions. Um, but then after a while, maybe we'll put a charge on our coaches as, as we see their experience level um, take off a little bit. Maybe, maybe now it's going to be there like, Hey, why don't you know you're you're, you're going to do a muscle up progression? Why don't you 
go into the bat cave, come up with your own little twist on things and put your own little, you know, your own little creativity stamp on it. And, um, and, and then, so it's still within the context of the timeline, but usually that's where, and then, and then we, and then, you know, also with general warmups and whatnot, we've got some pre-populated general warmups, some very popular ones that I like to use. They're all from my arsenal of coaching, but then um, we just start eventually handing those little, um, what we call like evolutions of the class over to the, um, so they can kind of vary away from it a little bit. But it's a tricky That's bird, cool. right? Because you don't want, you don't want to have, you don't want to, you don't want to have too much discrepancy between your three o'clock and your six thirty PM class, right? You don't, you don't want coaches coming in at three because they or, or, or clients coming in at three because, well, this coach has a better progression than this coach has. So it's a tricky little bird to, uh, to maybe you, then, then as you start trusting your coaches, maybe, maybe then that becomes a new default affiliate muscle up progression. So that way the 6.30 class copies the same thing that the three o'clock coach um, created. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, that. I was going to ask you how much standardization you have within your kind of class procedures because that's that was an error I made early on was I kind of gave everybody, you know, all the rope in the world to hang themselves. And then, and then we went, we swung the pendulum all the way the other direction where said, you're going to do everything exactly like this. And we took away all poetic freedom. And now we lie probably somewhere in the middle where there are, there are certain things that are standardized. We don't, we don't change the snatch progression. We don't change the push jerk progression. We don't change the pull-up progression. But outside of that, like if you want to sprinkle some other things in there as you get better, then I'll let you do that. But first, kind of where you were going is like you have to show me that you can set the hook exactly like I taught you how to set it. And then once you can do that repeatedly, then I'll let you kind of, you know, venture out and get a little bit creative. But for me, I find that the best, the best uh, way to move coaches forward is like, hey, demonstrate the template first show me that you can follow directions and that you understand this then you can be creative but not until then yeah absolutely and that and that and, and kind of like what you said earlier like some of the great conversations we've had has been about entrepreneurship and whatnot and the first part of entrepreneurship is dialing in on the way you want things done for your business and then you hand those off so, so what, what you said is like that baseline, that's basically the safety net for every single coach that comes in. And in the beginning, in the beginning, as an early affiliate owner, you have to do exactly what you and I did. You have to just come up with, this is our muscle up progression. <laughs> this is our, this is our kipping pull up progression. This is, and now we have two of these progressions and now we have two of these progressions and two that now we have three. And now that we have these baseline and these safety nets for our new coaches, now that they can demonstrate they have those, then you can start to move away. But you can't, right, you can't start the opposite way. You can't give them creative freedom. Give, uh, giving them creative freedom without a safety net to fall back on almost seems unfair. It almost, you know, it almost seems like you're going to see and correct, like you're going to start to see and correct somebody before you, before you teach them. Yeah, it's, and you, know? you, you end up setting them up for failure because they, they end up falling on their face anyway because, you know, trying to recreate the wheel is generally never a good idea. But then... Then the other thing that becomes a problem from a business standpoint is you create this, this pretty significant discrepancy from class to class or from coach to coach, you know, and if I'm talking about off, you know, if I'm talking about offering a consistent service or product, there has to be a, a pretty substantial amount of, of ability to replicate the service from one coach to the other. They can all have their flight. Like the way I like to describe it is like, I want you to be you. And I want you to, to put whatever spin on this you want, 
but it doesn't change the content. Kind of like we do at the level one. It's like the content doesn't change, the delivery and who's giving the lecture and the flavor with, with, with which it's given, that varies from person to person as they get comfortable with the content. And I feel like coaching is the same way. Don't, you don't need to change the clean. Like it's, it's good the way it is. <laughs> what you need to do is figure out how to deliver it effectively being you. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the art continues when you not only develop like your own unique way to, to deliver that instruction for the clean, but when you can become a chameleon to the environment that you are with, you know, like as you are literally looking out onto your class as a coach and you're running through your, your very best clean progression and you start to pick up on like, oh my gosh, th these, we, we are, <laughs> these clients or these participants learning this clean progression from me right now are not quite as advanced or, or, or maybe they're more advanced than what I thought and your ability to kind of adjust your progression midway to meet the demands of, or the needs of the clients in the class. That's another part of the art, right? Where, gosh, I mean, you could have, you could have 10 old hands in the class or you could have eight newbies and two old hands in the class. Um, and being able to balance the education with still not being, having to bore the old hands, but give the education to the, to the newbies at the same time. Yeah, that's, we, that's a continuation of the art right there. Yeah, we get that question quite a bit when we, cause when we're, when we're working with coaches, either in the mentor group or people ask questions about when they're, when they do their lesson plans and the question inevitably comes up about well, what if I've got like this big mix of athletes or have this, these athletes that are all pretty much good to go. And my, my, statement to everybody is like, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't change the plan. And this is something Joe Alexander told me years ago. And he says, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but he's like, Hey, what you want to become able to do as a professional is either contract or expand the content at will based on the audience that you're looking at. And yeah, that is, that, that is the, yeah, that's, that's an art form that I still work on constantly is like, Hey, can I fast forward this? Do I need to lengthen this out? Um, but I, I still have not mastered that. I think I'm just significantly better at it than I was 10 years ago, but it's still something that I'm constantly evaluating because you know, the, the athletes change every day, which is really kind of the fun part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, yep. No doubt about it. Yeah. And, and you only learn by, by, by doing it right. And you got to put your hand on a hot stove a couple of times by realizing like, wow, did I really just overcoach that group of people? You know, here I am dropping all my, all my knowledge bombs on the, <laughs> and you, they, they're looking at you like you got three heads, uh, where it could have been very appropriate for the last class, you know, just because they're just, maybe they're a more experienced class. I did that just the other day where I, like I had, if you'd have watched both the classes back to back, they they would have, they could not have been more different, but it was just literally based on the people that I had in the class. And I just decided on the fly, I was like, I'm going to change this just because because I think it's appropriate based on this. Um, but I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, because this idea of like letting people mess up um, is a hard pill to swallow, particularly when, as a business owner, when those decisions and those mess ups can, in a lot of instances, cause you money. Like how long did it take you to, to really take that on board and start to be okay with that? Well, I think, you know, really, I think from the beginning I was, uh, not, not to sound like a know-it-all, I guess, but I just knew, I, I mean, 
when I came into CrossFit, which would have been about 12 or 13 years ago, um, right, there just wasn't a lot of affiliates around. I mean, I think there was only one good CrossFit coach in all of the state of Michigan when, when I first started 12 or 13 years ago. And, um, and it was, you know, it was quite a drive to get there. So, I mean, when I started coaching CrossFit, I started coaching it to high school kids when I started and, um, and I, and I would just, and I was just messing up, you know, I would just, I would just mess up with these kids and then I would have to change things and, and, and derive things. And then when I got confident enough, I eventually, I left the, I was a school teacher and I eventually left that profession to open my own affiliate um, I think I just had a lot of empathy for my coaches because I remember the past two or three years of the learning curve that I had been going through with coaching where it just felt like I was constantly putting my hand on a hot stove and right. The only thing you know, put your hand on a hot stove, the, the worst thing you could do is just put your hand back on the same hot stove. Um, <laughs> of course it's going to be hot. Uh, yeah. so I, I mean, I, once... I had done that so many times that I just said, I just said, empathy with them that they would that they would uh i, I got to be patient with them that they're going to make mistakes I, I was reading somewhere the other day it was just it was this saying i don't remember where i got it from but it was probably on somebody's instagram feed but it was like you know how to make good decisions and then it was like get experience how do you get experience make bad decisions and i was like oh that's a that's a yeah. very <laughs> accurate that's a very accurate description of how that whole process works and it's tough because like you you do, there is frustration involved with teaching people something new and um again not to beat it like uh, one of my members who's a, a friend and mentor of mine like super, super successful entrepreneur and uh, but he works in in like the fast food industry and he owns a couple chick-fil-a's but he says hey listen people are going to mess things up five times like you have to give them five opportunities to mess it up and generally by then they'll probably do it better than you and i was like man that seems like a lot <laughs> that seems like a lot of times Ooh. to mess this up but yeah like, that's, and that's, that's how and it works that's man. another part that's another tricky part of it is um yeah, making them better than you and not letting your own ego get in the way. That is, uh, I can, I can, like, I guess, um, talk about the learning curves of going through on my own, on your own as a new coach to learn things. And then you start to spread that wealth to others. And the first time that you start to realize that the person you're tutoring is becoming better than you, you almost want to be like, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to give them any more knowledge. There's this, there's this selfish side of you that is uh that i think is normal and organic but to be able to slice up your humble pie and take big bites of it and realize that that is actually what part of leadership is is um if you can if you can have the humility and and be proud to bring people along that path um that it is okay and it's a totally normal part of leadership to have your subordinates or your you know your coaches that you're training to become actually better than you. And I, I feel like that quite often. I, I, we're, some of those names we mentioned earlier, I mean, yeah. I'll watch these guys run classes and, and I'll, and I'll be like, damn, I, I wish I was that good. <laughs> 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 and, um, and, and I'll tell them afterwards, I'm like, gosh, that was amazing. I'm going to try to steal that. I don't know if I can replicate it, but I'm seriously going to try to steal it. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a new learning curve that you have to go through eventually with um as an affiliate owner i think and as you're trying to bring up good coaches is there get let them get better than you let them and i think i think that's hard to swallow sometimes i people. i can definitely understand how people could feel that way I, 
I'm, I might be an outlier here, but for, for whatever reason, and I'm not saying this is due to anything specific I did or I'm special, I, it probably parenting, but um, I, I've, I've never been that way. Like I, I always looked at it a little bit differently. Like I'm an, I'm an uber competitive person and, and, and I don't necessarily have the desire to win. I just like competition. So I always looked at it like as somebody get better, like I was excited because now there was more competition. Like I knew that as this person got better, my competitive nature would take over and I would also get better. So I always looked at it like as you get better, it's going to force me to get better. And that's probably not normal, but I've always, that's always been excited to exciting to me. Like when I played baseball and basketball and football growing up when I played in college and like guys would be getting better. Like it just got me excited. Like I was just like, I was like, hell yeah. I'm like, this is like the competition is about to go up a notch. And that was always what I looked, looked for. And I do, and I do it now as a coach. Like I, I find it exciting because now I'm going to start to steal from that person too. Like I'm going to steal the things that they do and try to improve. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. You got another outlet. I get it. You got another outlet, another uh, opportunity to steal. Yeah. I love it. That's a great lens. That is such a healthy lens. That's a great way to have an outlook on, on things. It reminds me of my competitive days of wrestling where I always, I always felt like my pitfall of wrestling was that I looked at wrestling. I didn't look at it. Um, like I was wrestling to win. Um, I wrestled not to lose and you can never win that way. Right. You can never yeah. win if you wrestle not to lose. You have to play to win. And yeah. you like, and, and that would be like, if you, if you are afraid to let your, uh, your coaches, if you're afraid to let them grow into something better, which eventually means, I mean, they're going to move on, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're going to move on. They're going to do bigger and better things. Uh, for we, all, themselves, we all break up like this. Things. Yeah. That was yeah. something I learned. And, uh, like we all break up and if you're trying to hold people in, it's never going to work out. Like I, I prefer yeah, to look yeah, at it. That is playing. That's playing not to lose. Right. That's yeah. play, and playing to win. Being in it to win it is going to be like, Oh, great. Look at this. I got another Avenue, another, another person I can steal from now. And you just created that for yourself. That's a great lens. It's such a healthy lens and a way to look at things. I, I can't take credit for that. I don't know why I'm like that I, because it's weird because I hate losing. Right. Like I, it's just like, well i don't i don't know that's accurate i don't know that i hate losing i feel like i've told joe alexander this before i have a profound fear of mediocrity right like that that's like probably what drives me like i don't i I realize that losing is part of of life but like i guess what probably drives me is like i have like it scares the crap out of me to be mediocre at things um and there's some things like that i don't care about that i'm like i'm never gonna be good at that like i'm just gonna but it's not part of my life. So I don't care. But like when it comes to the things that I'm doing and I'm passionate about, like being mediocre at those things, like is, is incredibly frightening to me. And I think that's what drives it. It's not like my desire to be great. It's my fear of being terrible. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. helpful, you know, and like something I've been uh, struggling with and we, like, and this is on the business mindset. And I'd love to get your idea. Like, have you read, um, have you read any of Simon Sinek's books? Like uh, start with why or anything like that? No, I have not. I've, I have been referred multiple times uh, to the books, but I have not read any of his books. So his, his newest book is called The Infinite Game. And basically the premise of the book is to, in order to be successful, particularly like in life and business, trying to win is how you fail. There is no, there is no winning. There's simply staying in the game. 
and having to shift <laughs> and having to shift my mindset, particularly on business on that has been, has been a struggle. Cause I'm, I was always in the mindset, well, we've got to win. We have to, we have to either close the sale or we have to, you know, grow this much, or we have to, you know, be better than this business. And then all of that is short term thinking. And I, and I've really had to like take a step back and look at it and say, like, what am I actually, what am I actually winning? Like what, like, like how do you approach business? Cause I like that shifts for me quite a bit and I'm trying to get better at it. You know, I think I, I like to approach it kind of, uh, you, you said something earlier about, um, I, don't know, I, I forgot exactly what we were talking about earlier in this podcast, but we mentioned something along the idea of just like, you don't have to start right. You just have to start. Yeah. You said, and that, I, I have, <laughs> yep. I, <laughs> I have a tendency to uh, try to uh, think things right. I have a tendency to want to think things right. And I will sit in the think tank and I will think, and I will think, and I will think, and I will think, and I'll think of a better way to implement this thing and, and a better way to, you know, well, what if I change this before I implement it? What if I change and I think over the years, one thing that I'm starting to realize is I just have to start this process or this standard operating procedure that I'm, instead of thinking about it, I can't think it right. I just have to yeah. start it. And then, and then I'll, and then I will adjust, uh, you know, and that's the same, uh, right. That's the same thing that a lot of people need to realize with nutrition as well Is like, you know, they go, Oh God, how many calories, what percentage of protein, what percentage of fat, what, you know, who cares? Just start. Yep. I don't even care. You know, you, you, you could have the most obscene, you know, you, you could start in the most wrong way. Like maybe 90% of your intake is going to be from carbohydrate, 5% from protein, 5% from fat. As long as you start weighing and measuring your food, you're going to realize real quickly, you don't like those results and you're going to shift those numbers. So being exactly right and trying to think it right. I have the clients that they've been eating a carbohydrate riddled, uh, um, nutrition, uh, nutritional regime for all their life, and now they're going to switch it. And they're like, what, what, "What's my right number?" Somebody said, "Listen, man, just just get somewhere in this arena of forty percent to start. You don't have to start yeah. right. You just have to start is what you have to do." And I think that's, that's um, one thing I've learned with uh, with uh, affiliate ownership is just, "All right, I got this great idea. All right, let's just start it." And let's not give up on it when it fails. You know it's going to fail. Let's just fix it when it does and make it meet the mold of what you need affiliate right now. That's uh, it's interesting. So I I would be, I would classify myself as the opposite of that. When where like my tendency is to let's not build the plane. Let's just start flying and build the plane in midair, <laughs> which yeah, which, yeah, has, yeah. which has its, which also has its drawbacks. And there's this um. I think I read this in, I think it was a Stanley McChrystal book. I think it was in team of teams when he talks about this concept of the cathedral and the bazaar and is like, you know, there's two concepts, right? This cathedral is this immaculately structured thing. Um, and it, and it's every brick is placed, ex, you know, super precisely. And it's this beautiful structure. The problem with the cathedral is it takes two centuries to build it, you know, but it's perfect when you're done. So it's a, it's a, it's an efficiency thing. And the opposite end of the spectrum is the bazaar, right? So if, if anybody's never been to a bazaar, if you've never been to the Middle East or anything like that, 
You know, like the bazaar is this crazy kind of marketplace that nobody really knows how it functions. There's no rules, there's no structure, but it functions. Like it's, yeah. it's this place of trade that functions, but like, but you can't change anything in the bazaar, right? Like, because nobody knows how it works. The problem with the cathedral though, is like, if I change something, I continue to push the timeline back. So it's like, how do I become some version of both the cathedral and the bazaar, which is like, have some structure and some logic to my thought, but not let the perfect design hold me back from actually starting the project. Um, so that's where I try to live my life. But I, but I tend towards the bazaar, which is like, let's just figure it out. And, and that has bitten me. Yes, on more, yes. That's just more than on more than a couple of occasions. So I have to be a little bit better about that. Um, it seems so like a big note, theme yeah. of all the stuff we've talked about is like the, the, the darn, the darn fairy tale of Goldilocks, right? Like not too hot, not too cold. I think that's almost everything we've talked about so far is like, you can be at one end of the spectrum or on the other end of the spectrum. But what I, what we find is right in the middle is where you need to be. <laughs> but again, like, how do you get to the middle? Like you only get to the middle by, by spending too much time on the, on the, the periphery. Like you're just like, this is not where I want to be. And if so, and you somehow figure out how to gravitate towards the middle, you know, if you're being intelligent about it. Um, yeah. And what these, you said, staying in the game, staying in the game. That's the key is you got to stay in the game. You got to adjust. You can't just take that plan because you know the umbrella concept of that plan is good you just have to figure out how to nail that umbrella concept which you're trying to not give up on it because you're too much like the bazaar too much like the cathedral yeah i love that so on that note what are some of the what are some lessons learned as an affiliate owner that you would pass on to people so like again not a ton of us who have been around 10 years which doesn't necessarily make us good Right. I think that's where yeah. it just, it does, it does mean yeah. that we're still in the game though. And, and, and there's been some lessons learned along the way, but like, what are some of the, like, what's some of the big takeaways that if you reflect on 10 years and you sit down and you and Liz are drinking wine and, and like, what would you be, what would be your big takeaways? Like things that you've either done poorly or things that you're like, we nailed it on that. Like we definitely got that right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, Oh my gosh. Boy, isn't that a tough one? I guess, um, I guess the, you know, in the beginning, it's kind of funny, you know, in the, um, and I, and you know what, I think your needs kind of change over the years. Your needs kind of change over the years too, about what you're doing right at that time and, and whatnot, because I mean, there's the whole concept of taking care of the people that are under your umbrella right now, the people who are your current clients and, um, and somehow managing to still pull more clients in. Um, I, I've done both. I've done both ways. You know, I've done just like, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to concentrate on my, on my clients and offer quality service to them. And I've gotten very, very happy with, with their experience of what they're having at 810 CrossFit. And then, um, and then just try to rely on that to bring other people in through word of mouth, which it does. But it's not like a crazy, it's not like I have people just knocking down my door. I've had to experiment also with getting my name out there to try to get people to come in the door. So then that because, so then you start to focus on that item and kind of like we were saying before, then all of a sudden you, you start to lose focus of the people who are in your gym and the quality control drops there because you're too focused on drawing people into your gym. Uh, so you shift back and then, I don't know, and then, and then how do you want to take care of the people in your gym? Um, I would say uh, the big, what would be the big takeaway? The number one takeaway of something that we have nailed. 
I think, um, I think just, uh, just being consistent with the CrossFit methodology and not watering it down, like consistently, uh, challenging people to build their gymnastic skills, like uh, looking after people that are under our umbrella, under our roof, constantly challenging them, not, not watering down, not getting caught up in the new sexy thing in the fitness industry and um, going off on some tangent. Now all of a sudden you're not the CrossFit methodology anymore. That, that has been a, something that we've done well. And then with, um, with just making sure we have consistent benchmarks for our athletes that they're familiar with um, always participating in the open and, making the open something fun that people can celebrate the celebration of lifestyle of, of being a CrossFitter. Um, I think that, I, I think just sticking to the roots of CrossFit is, um, is something that we've done well that I'm, that I'm pretty proud of because I think there's a lot of tangents you can go off and, you know, and you see this happening all the time, right? You see some CrossFit affiliates changing their name to like such and such strength and conditioning um, because they don't want to be uh, for whatever reason, they lose track of, they, they got caught in some new sexy thing and they went off on a tangent in the fitness industry and they didn't want to be pigeonholed into whatever they think the CrossFit methodology is or whatever misconception they have. I, I, um, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying and I don't even, I don't even fault those people for that. Like I don't, I don't, I disagree with it. Um, but I get how it's easy to, to want to take the new shiny object because I mean, if you give anybody the option, like, hey, what's the easier route? Like, continue to try to get better at the thing that you're doing or go chase this thing over here. Like, chasing the new thing is always easier, you know, realistically than it is to, like, particularly as you get better at something. It's like, it gets better, it gets harder and harder to improve 1% if, if you're, as you become really competent with something. It's like, how do you, you know, how does somebody like Joe DeGain or uh, as a flow master who runs an affiliate for 10 years, like improve his affiliate? Like we all know it can be done, but I would argue that it just does get more complicated and it does get harder the longer you've been doing it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we, and we've come across some standard operating procedures across the way that, um, and I know this is where you and I really can go down the rabbit hole with. Yeah. As we start talking about those things. Um, that, that we have learned to just kind of recreate and uh, we're starting to fall into a little bit of like a template that allows us to have, you know, goal meetings with our athletes and then challenges with our athletes. When are benchmarks going to happen? Um, when I've got so a, what's, your, office, what's your I've structure a, there? Yeah. How do you guys set that up? Cause I think that's one of the, that's like a major retention tool that people are, that are missing. Like, how do I, how do I have consistent, um, frequent replicatable, retention strategies in place for the people when they're when they're in my care right to take somebody's average you know their their length of engagement which is what chris cooper likes their leg to take it from three months to two years like what do you guys have in place to do that well yeah we're, and, and it's it's evolving <laughs> we have we have gone from uh you know we used to have this really interesting um we used to we used to have these goal meetings that we would do throughout the entire year. And we would call people like, like if you were a member of my gym, we would call you like every three or four months and try to set up this meeting with you mm -hmm. is what we would do. And, um, and then you would come in for this meeting. It was kind of like a mandatory thing. You would come in for this meeting. We'd talk about your goals and it was just a chance to sit down with an individual, find out how things are going, 
and a lot of times, <laughs> to be honest with you, it would turn into a little bit of a therapy session. Like you would just have to hear about all these different reasons as to why the person can't make it into the gym. Or it's never about fitness. Like eat. it's literally no. never about fitness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we so we would do those, but they were just I don't know. It, it was it was like we tried to spread them out throughout the course of the year, and uh, so the so the volume wouldn't be that aggressive. And, um, and it just became really tricky and, uh, we kind of got away from that just last year in, in this new year in 2020, I'm kind of looking forward to this idea of, uh, just making like Jan in January of this year, I would really just like to hunker down and meet with every single one of my clients just to be able to talk about like, where are you, where do you want to go? Can we write something down that would help you for the next six months? something to get you kind of squared away a little bit right now or give you some resources and just let them know we care for them. And then, um, but in order to do that, in order to do that, you have to, in order to, in order to have anything to talk about, you have to have data in front of you about your athletes. You know, you can't, I mean, otherwise it's just a subjective sit down of like, I don't know, what is your clean? I don't know. What is your body fat percentage? I don't know. What, you know, we look at all these, if you can look at all these different metrics. So, so before that even can happen, before you can have those meetings and those goal meetings with your athletes, having some type of a metric system to be able to gather data on your athletes. So you can sit down and look at them across from a desk with a piece of paper that has things that are relevant to them that are data driven. And yeah. um, so that's a whole nother process in itself. Um, and I would love to use the open as an opportunity to do that and the, the open, but the open only really gives us that one workout, right? There's only going to be one repeat workout yeah. and there's so many factors changing. You can't base, you can't base like, well, I was in the top, you know, 40th percentile last year. And this year I'm in the top 35th percentile. You have no idea. Like, look at how many of the numbers are changing of the participants in the open. <laughs> and, um, uh, that's just a hard, it's a hard one to measure your, your, you know, you, you definitely got that one repeatable workout that you can compare to years past to see if you are improving or not. But, um, so we like to look at the open kind of like as a, a huge celebration of lifestyle and, um, and participate in these five crazy weeks with some of the fittest people in the world. And then now that that's over, we are doing, um, right now before Christmas, before the new year, our game plan is to have a whole slew of benchmarks and, and data and then of course as soon as january hits then we want to do some body metrics such as body fat percentage muscle mass and whatnot and then we want to sit down and have meetings with people about like all right this is where you were in the open at the end of 2019 this is where you are in all of our benchmarks this is where this is what your body fat percentage your muscle mass your visceral fat um inflammation levels this is where you are right now and uh, so where do you want to go from here? And that's kind of a neat little, I don't know, I'm pretty happy with the way that looks from, what is that going to be, October? September, yeah. September what? August, September, you're probably going to, August, you start getting nervous about the open. September, you start doing some things that might get you in the open type mindset. And then what was it, October and November, we kind of went through the yeah. open experience. And now we can test on these. So that's, I don't know, that's a third of the year eaten up right there. Yeah. Um, the, I think the key, need now a, is like, need... the key now is like, is like finding that new schedule. Cause like for us, like we didn't have a ton um, of compared to what we normally have of, of participation in the open. I think it was just cause like people were just still kind of exhausted from the games 
you know, like just the, the idea of it in general. Everybody's like, oh man, this is like really quick again to do this all over again. Um, so we probably had 50% participation, but I think that will go back up next year because there's going to be so much lead time going into it. And I think it'll be better. Um, you, the I, I think, ask, I think there ahead. was a lot of people like that. A lot of people didn't do the open. I think they were just like, oh my gosh, they're so quick. So it's such a fast turnaround. Oh my God. But I got to believe that if you didn't do the open and I could be misspeaking, but if you didn't do the open, you had to have been watching from a distance and yeah, which is always you probably weird. did the workouts yeah. anyways. Hundred yeah. percent. just wanted to see, and then you just got on the leaderboard in in in, in quiet shame in your closet and looked it up. <laughs> That's where you where you would have been if you would have entered the open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I think I think once so, every, once this is like that weird transition year where everything just feels discombobulated, but I think it'll settle in going into next year now that the, now that everybody knows like the open is not in february march anymore now it is in october so i, I think it'll work itself out uh, one of the other things i wanted to ask you was like you have played around probably more than anybody i know with like trying to weave nutrition into your members like either memberships or like how you do it and stuff like that and i think last time we talked which is a while ago you had a significant number of people who were doing some sort of nutrition protocol with you. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we did, we actually made it mandatory in our gym for a little bit. So for a while we had a hundred percent, it was mandatory. And, um, and essentially what we did, we don't do this anymore. And I can't say that this was a bad idea either. Um, we just had uh, like every three months, every month on your membership, there was a $25 charge that came through and um, this was kind of how we did the um, like those mandatory meetings because they, a lot of times, you know, a lot of times that's where people need the most help at. We, we get the one hour in the day to help them with their metabolic conditioning and their gymnastics and their, and their weightlifting, but they got 23 hours in the day to screw up the nutrition. So that's usually where people need the most guidance from. Yeah. So what we would do is every, every three months, your account as a member of the gym, your accounts charged 25 bucks. And you get a, um, we, we use, we use a software, a membership software that will allow for appointments. So you're, so this appointment just shows up in your, in your, in your smartphone on, on our, on our app. And, um, and then you have 30 days to schedule an appointment with us and where you're going to come in and you're going to get on the in body machine and you're going to get all your metrics and we're going to talk about nutrition and talk about like, Hey, what, this is where you were three months ago. This is where you are now. It looks like everything's going just fine. Or do you want to get better? Or, or what do you do? You want to change anything? Or just, just it seems like it's almost negligent if you don't at least check in every three months. Um, and sometimes, you know, three months would, you know, somebody would not see any change and they would be happy and they just kind of be sitting there and they wouldn't really be inspired to make any changes. But sometimes, especially with some of our older people, like they would come in, they'd be like, oh my gosh my body fat percentage went up by one and a half percent. They go, well, it's changed. And they'd say nothing. Well, well, your metabolism has changed. You know, you're, you're changing now. Like you're, you're uh, I mean, it's obvious when you go from 15 to 25 that your metabolism changes, but then as you start to get older, you're, you're that, that code, that metabolic code is always changing. And it was kind of nice to be able to catch people every three months because they would just see a little increase in percent, a percent of body fat. They're like, man, I've been feeling a little bit chubbier. 
but uh, I guess I really am. And then they, yeah, they but is that really their, is that really their metabolism or is that more along the lines of what kind of what you and I were discussing beforehand, which is you live in Michigan, like there is seasonal depression. People are inside for longer periods of time. Like, is it really their metabolism that like cause their body fat to go up one and a half percent in three months? Or did they have some habits and lifestyle just stuff that changed? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. It could it could be a zillion different things. It could be a zillion different things. You're right. It is hard. It is hard to dial in to figure out. But I guess the overarching principle, right, is this: like, oh my gosh, you're, something has to something has to change now. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter if you're seasonally. Your body has no regard to your seasonal depression or to your changing metabolism. It's going to get fat if you don't change something right now with whatever well, you've think- been doing for the past three months. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of, and like one of the things that we're trying to, to get people to do more frequently now is like blood work. You know, it's like the more things that I can, the more things that we can get athletes to present themselves with, whether it's body composition, blood work, or their logbook, the less opportunity there is for them to like a cop out or like lie to themselves. Right. Like you can't lie about any of those things. You can't say that like every you're training consistently, that your nutrition is dialed in. If your workouts are going down, if your body fat, uh, if your body composition is going in the wrong direction, and if your blood blood lipid profile has gotten worse, like something is going wrong, you know. And you yeah. and you can't tell yeah. and you can't tell me that you're doing what you're supposed to. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. And those meetings are really hard to do without that. That's that you got to, and you have to figure out what do you want? It's almost like you have to reverse engineer the project. What are you, what do you want to talk about at this sit down? And if blood lipid profiles are part of it and those other metrics that, that you, you can't just sit down and be like, Hey man, I just want you to know I'm, I'm trying really hard for you and I hope you're doing well, but we don't have anything to really talk about. I mean, that meeting is useless uh, for yeah. both parties. Um, yeah. And uh yeah, so that's what we we've kind of we've thought about how to integrate blood work as well um, into our gym. So I'm I'm sure you and I will have more future talks about that well, uh, escapade. So we just well yeah I mean we well I mean we can just have it right now. We just rolled out um, um, some stuff from the Warrior Clinic, which is from Doctor um, Scott and um, Shaka Galen. So Scott was at the trainer summit very briefly. I think he was there for a day, but uh, Shaka is, is coach Glassman's kids pediatrician. And so they started the warrior club. Yep, I they, do know her. Yep. Yep. Where they, where you can go in and order a kit. So the kit gets mailed to you, you do a finger prick and then you mail it back and then they, they will go through all of your stuff with you. And now you have a dashboard and you can do this periodically throughout the year. And it's like, it's very, very cost effective. You get to, you get to, forego all of the crap about trying to get some blood work from your doctor um to order the blood work like and and then having to go back and get your results and all that stuff like so it's just a really really efficient way to do it so that's what we're rolling it, out it, it's our, called the warrior the warrior kit clinic so it's called the warrior clinic, clinic. okay yeah the warriorclinic.com i believe and then in there you order the kit and you can do two different types of kits in there um but it, it, the, all of all yeah, of the how, testing in there all of the testing that they do is based on what they feel are the most appropriate, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Chronic disease markers, right? They're like, these are the things okay. that we know definitively are like, have strong association to, you know, metabolic derangement and chronic disease. 
And um, now, how is it different than in, what Inside Tracker? Are you familiar with Inside Tracker? I am not as familiar. I don't know that it's much different. I think they're probably very similar. Like, I think this is a, a space that a lot of people are getting into. Um, I just really like those two, to be honest with you. They're both CrossFitters and they're entrenched in the space. And, right. Um, right. You know, like I did. Well, let so. me ask you this: with that, with with that Warrior Clinic. When you order, let's say I want to order something, can I can I order that? And this is an important question, I think, as an affiliate owner. Can I order that? Can I just order 10 of these and sell them in my gym? Or when you order one, is it specifically registered to you and it shows up registered to you when you get it? Or are they blank kits that you could, that anybody could just send in? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, I guess like it doesn't really matter until you send it back. I can ask, though. I don't know. That's a good yeah, question. Yeah, because that, that was one thing, that was one beef I had with Inside Tracker is, is I wanted to start putting these finger pricks because that's what they have is the finger prick system. And um, uh, I wanted to do, but, but, I, but I, they wouldn't let me order 10 of them to put on a shelf and sell at my affiliate because I wanted, Got it. I really just wanted to look at somebody in the eye and be like, look, the thing is sitting right here. You can send it in tonight rather yeah. than telling somebody about this, this website they have to go through and that obstacle always leads to a week later. They're like, oh, yeah, or two months later. Oh, yeah, yeah, told me about it, but I never went to the website. But if it's sitting there on your shelf, um, That's I, a good I, point. I always felt like that I would will, be something better. I will ask because I'm going to have them back on the show because we're going to do a Q&A with them. But I will ask because um, that's a good that's a good question. Um, all right. We're we're getting we're, we've been doing this for almost an hour, which I which I had no doubt we were going to do. Um, I got a couple more questions for you. What is one of the biggest mistakes you've made as an affiliate owner? The biggest mistake I have ever made as an affiliate owner is um, thinking that bigger is better. Ooh, no doubt because like I, I actually want to do. I'm glad you said that because I actually want to do like a, a multi-person podcast with. Um, with gym owners who have had multiple affiliates and then contracted back to one. Um, and, and, and yeah, at days. my original, at my original gym, we had, uh, we probably had about, um, I'd say we had about 3000 to 4,000 square feet. And, um, it was, I really loved it. And behind, behind my unit was, was like 7,000 more square feet that I could tap into if I wanted to. So immediately I was, I'd always been looking at this 7,000 square feet, like, oh, as soon as we're big enough, I'm going to get it. As soon as we're big, and I got it, and we put all this turf down back there, and we put another rig up back there, and, and really, you know, one, one of the things we got going for us in, this, in these affiliates, I think, is the community and the intimacy of the community. And in my experience, when I plugged into that 7,000 square feet, I ended up with like four or five people way over in this corner talking. I had two or three people way over in here. I had one guy with his headphones on in one section of the gym and we kind of lost the intimacy of our community. And um, I don't think people felt as connected and slowly over time, you know, it's not something that just happens in one day, but slowly over time, I, I started to realize like that tightness of the community had been kind of woven apart and I eventually shut down not because he was even like a price gig. I just didn't like the feel of my community anymore. So I shut that back down and made it small again is what I did. And, um, I like it. and then it's, and then, and then we, and then we started to grow. I mean, people, I don't want people to be in danger when they're working out, but I like them to have to be close to each other a little bit. 
Um, and I think it's healthier for that gym environment. And then I put my hand on the hot stove again because I opened up another affiliate and, um, we had two affiliates. Yeah. And then we had two affiliates. Uh, we opened one up about 20 minutes down the road and coach Glassman always said, if you think you run a good affiliate to open up another one and you will run two half as well. And, um, of course I didn't listen. I put my hand on a hot stove again. I opened up a second affiliate and, um, and then I knew, I knew I was in over my head one day when I was at that affiliate and I called two members by the wrong name. And then I went back to my original affiliate to run another couple classes. And I called two more people from my original affiliate by the wrong name. And I was like, I'm in over my head. I, uh, I don't, I, I'm not saying it can't be done. I know it can be done. Um, but it's, it's, it's not for me. So for me, every time, and then now I've sold that second affiliate and I'm back to my original affiliate, which is 810. And um, for me, getting, thinking bigger is better was my, was my personal mistake. And I know a lot of people are successful with running multiple gyms. Um, but I think just for me, I, I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit more in the trenches. I like to be in the trenches a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely want, I, I want to be able to step out of the trenches when I want to, I want to be able to have that kind of freedom. Um, but I do like still being hands on in, in my affiliate and, um, so those are, those are my two biggest mistakes. Thinking bigger is better. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I go, I, this is something that just rattles around in my brain almost constantly is the vast majority of people that I know that have, tr that have done multiple affiliates have contracted back to one at some point. And I don't, I don't think it's because it, it can't be done. Cause I do know people who are doing it successfully. It's a very, very small percentage. I mean, it's definitely less than 1% of the CrossFit community. Um, you're doing do, it right now, right? Are you, do you still have two locations? No. So we can try. Well, we were forcing, like, that's a whole nother story. I'm gonna do a podcast on just like, just sometimes okay. bad luck is a thing. Um, but <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's I'm still dealing with it right now, but the, um, I do think there were some errors that I made there, which were not necessarily thinking bigger is better, but like, I, I do think that the CrossFit model because it's so intimate because it's so um because of what we do is is fairly complex i think it is very difficult to replicate and I, the people that do replicate it in in my experience do something that is that is far simpler from a from a from a training standpoint it's it's much easier to replicate uh, like a simple model like uh, like orange theory or barry's boot camp or eat the frog or something like that where the complexity sure. is removed, where I can create standard operating procedures, like in how I run every single class. But when it's CrossFit, we're dealing with, you know, very complex Olympic lifting movements with complex gymnastics, that requires a significant skill set, which I think is harder to replicate. So I don't think, I think the skill set of great coaches is hard to replicate. I don't think that the, uh, that it's, it's difficult to move forward. But I also think that a lot of people, myself included, do it in a somewhat haphazard manner. Like, I don't think we give it enough thought and, and chew on it long enough to say, like, this is exactly how it's going to run. And can I run the second one absent of being there? Because like, you kind of have to. Like, if, you're, if you want it to stand on its own feet, two feet, it kind of needs to stand on its own two feet because you just can't be in two places at one time. So um, I, I do think that like the, there's a lot of people that are doing franchise models with, with different kind of training modalities and that works, but I don't think that CrossFit was ever designed with franchising in mind. It was done with a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction, which means I need to be there. 
you know? So I think that's the big, the big hurdle that people have to jump over and, and very few do it well. So I would agree. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, last question, man. Um, any books or podcasts that you're hip to right now? Oh my gosh. I, I have just, I've been all over Jacko lately. I've just been listening to Jacko Willick and, um, and I love, uh, I love his, uh, demeanor. I love his outlook on things. I love his, uh, he's got a no bullshit type attitude. And, um, I really enjoy listening to him. In fact, I'm reading his children's books with my daughter Kimora right now. Oh, nice. And, um, and it's actually, uh, it's really helping her out. Um, she's, she's said some, uh, some behavioral things going on and, and, and she's starting to realize how she is the one in control of her own behavior. And I think it's a lot of the, re- a lot of the things that he puts across in his children's books. Um, his, what is his quote? His quote is, uh, his, his big thing is discipline equals freedom. Yep. And, um, and that statement really resonates a lot with me. I mean, just to think what, what do you want freedom from? What would you like freedom from? Cause everybody, there's something that's bothering somebody. Every, something's bothering everybody. And what is that thing? Once you can identify what that is, that is what you want freedom from. And to get freedom from that takes discipline in some aspect of your life and be able to recognize what is the discipline you need to get freedom from that thing that you don't want. And it, and it basically means, you know, self you know, accountability towards yourself and have, having a higher standard for yourself. And I've really been listening to a lot of his, um, his podcast lately. One is, I think what is uh, it? episode 174 is about the eminent human. And he kind of goes through the, the Marine, the Marine ranking system about how they evaluate and, um, and he, and he kind of, but he translates that over to real life and, and, you know, how could you evaluate your own life based upon these same standards that the Marines have in their ranking system where they'll have like a five-star ranking system. And like on the first, they don't have anything for number one and number two, number three is like, you do everything really, really well. Got it. And, and they don't even write anything down one and two, you're out. You can't even be in if you're a one or two, but you're not doing things well. And then four and five are like really hard, you know, and you just probably went through this with the, uh, with the um, CrossFit evaluation you probably had to do on yourself where like yep. three is actually pretty good. You're, if you read what it says yeah. to be a three on the CrossFit headquarters staff, you're like, man, yeah, three I, I is, definitely, three is a, a good, three. yeah. Three is a good performer. Like three is like not average the way we would think about it. Um, the, uh, the other way I've, I've, I've heard that explained is like, you know, rate things on a scale of one to one to 10, but seven is not an option. I don't know if you ever heard that. Right. So like you yeah. can rank one to okay. 10, but you can't, but you can't use seven because seven's ever that safe number. They're like, Oh, it's pretty good. But if you think about it, if you give yourself a six, <laughs> if you give yourself a six, you're like just above average. But if you give yourself an eight, you're like, that's pretty damn good if I'm an eight. <laughs> so you really have yeah. to be honest with yourself about like, hey, seven is not, you. there is no seven because seven is just something where you put, where you put a number there in order to like not actually be uh, critically evaluated either by yourself or by somebody else. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, uh, but yeah, that's a good one. Is uh, So I've been doing a lot of Jocko Willick lately. And then, uh, like of course, it. I'm a big fan of the Primal Blueprint. I do a lot of Primal Blueprint stuff. I just like listening to those guys talk. I um, haven't, uh, man, I haven't listened to that in a long time. I was real I was real heavy on that for a long time, but I have not listened to it in a long time. 
Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back on that. I'm glad you said that. Cool. Well, listen, man, we've well, done- Well, this has been wonderful, than, Jason. Yeah, this has been more than an hour, which I knew was going to be absolutely necessary to have this conversation. So uh, if you guys are interested, go look up uh, 810 CrossFit, check out Joe DeGain. Uh, if you got questions for Joe about coach development, about running his affiliate, about his experiences, 10 years, uh, hit us up. We'll hand you off. If you're looking for, when's your next uh, coach development course? Um, we we have one uh, we have one scheduled. Uh, I think the weekend before Christmas, okay. uh, we have one. Um, or no, I think actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think I think Christmas is on a uh, Wednesday or Thursday. I don't, know. I don't know. We we it's something right around right around Christmas is when we have. Okay. Uh, but obviously not intruding upon Christmas plans. Yeah. Um, is that a one, one or a three day? It is a, I believe it is a three day course okay. that we scheduled yeah. and it might be so the weekend, the week before Christmas. Yeah. So if you're looking for coach development, you're up in that area in the Michigan area or region, um, go look that up. If you're interested in the coach development course, I could think of very few people that would be better to do that with than Joe. Uh, we've got one coming up in January here in Virginia beach. I think there's one spot left. So we register. Uh, but Joe, as always, brother, you did not disappoint. I appreciate your time, man. That was fun, Jason. Thanks for having me on, and um, I will see you soon, brother. All right. See you guys later. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, one more time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and send us any feedback you have to at Best Hour of Their Day on Instagram and Best Hour of Their Day at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. We appreciate you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.